I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Standing up and speaking out, here's Hal Sparks. It is so good to be with you on this lovely holiday weekend. I can't tell you what a... Um, I, I don't know if I enter into this next year with total trepidation and excitement or excitement and trepidation. I don't know if my concern over the future of this republic uh, and the potential for a continued Donald Trump presidency um, is overwhelming my sense of hope yet. We will see. Um, there is news on all fronts that point to a um, a, a a tight contest, but only if we choose to lose it. Uh, we start today. I, I want to start with a little bit of since it's a holiday weekend and and, you know, some of you may, you know, our regular listeners may not even be tuned in. We may have a like kind of a softer turnout this weekend because it's a holiday weekend. And if you if you want to remove yourself from the political fray, there is no better time than now. I think than this particular weekend. So this this might be the, the the sort of holiday special version of it. We might take it a little bit easy and try not to get too argumentative, but to just um, push the, uh, the the boundaries a little bit of of what our conversation needs to be over the next ten months, because that's really it. I mean, starting next week, kids, uh, we have ten months or Four years and five years left of the Trump presidency. That's that's the distinguishing thing. The next 10 months are crucial on so many fronts. Now, let me be abundantly clear where my loyalties lie in terms of uh, the the upcoming November election and the primary season as it goes forward. This is this is before there's any question about who candidacy-wise I support or don't support or any of that stuff. Here's, here's what I support. What I support is everyone who is eligible to vote, voting. Whether I agree with them or not, every single one of them. That's, it is, that, is, that has primacy in this democracy, in America, over every other element of my own political philosophy because mainly because I believe in my political philosophy so much. And I believe in the, the concepts and principles of, of our democracy so much that without the full expression of every voter, um, I don't, my ideas won't get the pushback and refinement that they need. That leaving this up to anybody, you know, to just kind of, well, you, you take the lead. I, I'm going to sit this one out. Doesn't help anyone, even when it's someone that I am politically against. Because their response to my argument teaches me what, how my argument is heard and allows me to, to craft my argument in such a way that it either communicates fully what the part that they may be missing. Or it may flat out simply make me recognize that I was wrong in my position. It, it, it does happen. It's very rare. Very rare. But it does happen. And then the other possibility 
is that I hear parts of what they're saying and mixed with parts of what I'm saying, an actual crucial solution that solves the problem occurs. That's the essence of democracy. So beyond my own political philosophy over things, uh, the primary focus for me over the next 10 months is everybody voting who can vote. If you are legally eligible to vote and only if you are legally eligible to vote, in case that that needs to be clarified for our, our right wing friends. Citizens of the United States who are uh, planning to bur- be a, a citizen of the United States in 10 months, 10 months from now. Um, I suppose people could eject and move before then or they return to their home country or have dual citizenship and decide to renege. There's all sorts of options. My point is, if you are eligible to vote and only if you are eligible to vote, I want you participating, even if I agree with you. No, disagree with you. Yeah, especially if I agree with you. Even if I disagree with you. (laughs) That was a Freudian slip. Even if I disagree with you, I'm more worried about the people I agree with in terms of voting than the people I disagree with voting. That's where I'm getting to. That's where that uh, that little slip came from, actually, because my concern going into the next 10 months is not about whether Trump voters are going to show up in the same numbers that they did in 2016 or that Republicans will feel uh, driven or feel they have, you know, you know, disenfranchised or they feel uh, left behind by this president. That is not my concern. I do want them to vote and participate. Um, but I do not, I do not worry about their vote. I'm not, that's not keeping me up at night. What's keeping me up at night or, you know, it concerns me most of all is, is the left voting. Is the participation in the primary process of and the actual delivered vote in November more than anything else. Now, um, if you guys are getting a little bit of a YouTube lag, I'll I'll see if I can fix it by the settings going out. It's fairly low bandwidth where I am, but it's going out pretty consistently. So fingers crossed it'll stay that way. Um, My concern is people showing up, people registering to vote, people participating in it. Vote.org is the site to check your registration. You can find your polling place. You can, uh, you if you are paranoid about purges and the like, which some of you have every reason to be, um, please check it uh, regularly. Um, thank you, Carl, for posting that link in the chat room. Um, the, there is a, this, this will be, the primary focus of the next 10 months, as far as I'm concerned, because without this, everything else is just lip service. I, I simply do not care um, if about the petty aspects of interpersonal dynamics in the Democratic Party and whether or not you feel someone is up to your uh, standard, um, then vote. Just vote for uh, something else, I suppose. I'm, I mean, I don't believe in protest votes. I think they're ridiculous. Um, until you have a huge margin 
you know, protecting your at least the general notions of your political philosophy, the idea of bifurcating out and, you know, siphoning votes from your side is madness. But that being said, vote. As long as you vote, uh, you know, your participant, you can argue your point. I'm okay with that. But I want everybody to make sure that they are they're eligible to vote, that they have uh, they are signed up. Start your year that way. Make that your New Year's resolution to every three months. Make sure your registration is solid at vote.org. Remind someone else. Plan ahead that, that if you have, you're in a crucial primary state and somebody needs a lift to them, that you're going to take them. Now, I'm going to take a break. Um, but then we come back. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Iowa caucuses and the history of them and what they mean to our process or what they should mean, if anything at all. And we'll discuss with some of our chatters. Maybe we'll have some calls. 773-763-9278 is our number. And the important part is, uh, well, I, well, we'll talk about the history of it a little bit. But the important thing, like I said, is participation. Participate in the argument of it. I don't care about your ad hominem attacks of individuals. And I certainly have my problems with some candidates here and there. But uh, I would rather have you argue the merits of the system that you're talking about and 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 practice those points that you care about. If you care about Medicare for all or you believe in a public option system instead or or a pathway to universal care through a public option, those kind of things, there are multiple strategies on how to get there. Educate yourself on those. And if that is your position, argue them. And a lot of people find and I think this is what maybe Warren found this year was that the more people educated themselves about it, the more understanding they become of counter arguments and their ability to refine their argument and to the betterment of everyone. We'll be back. It's the House Parks Radio program, Mega Worldwide. We are uh, we're about to launch a new year. The, uh, 2020 is upon us. We're ending. We're going into the 20s, the roaring 20s, folks. They're here. We'll be back. Picture your face in the mirror. You see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet or large under eye bags? Well, imagine they're gone. And I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's, it's the edge you're looking for. Simply put, you'll be blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself out at work or with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody knows you're using it, unless of course you tell them, which is sort of bragging. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. Now let's get back with HealthSparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. So uh, Johnny Million is with us. 
Welcome. Uh, I, I wasn't even sure you were going to be joining us, and then I got a lovely yeah, message I in the middle. I was last week, you silly ghost. Yeah, I know. I just I lost track of years. I'm at I'm in Cleveland right now. Just raced over from a hey, a, a, a morning uh, breakfast with the family. Um, uh, my my kid and my mom and my cousins and everybody are all gathered over there. We had breakfast. Um, it, you know, it was a it was an Aunt Martha breakfast, so I may be lagging midway through the show. I may drop into a carb coma. You know what I mean? Like Aunt Martha. Yeah. What does Aunt Martha make? Uh, Aunt Martha makes. Uh, she made waffles and eggs, and she made something that used to resemble bacon. I think. Um, <laughs> And, and coffee cake. And there was a, there was literally a basket of donuts passed around, um, <laughs> as bread, you know what I mean? As the bread for the, Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. To, to soak up the bacon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, of all people, you know, um, right. So, um, so yeah, they, I mean, and they were, it wasn't like glazed donuts. There were chocolate dip donuts and powder. Donuts. Like it was straight. Entman's box, you know what I mean? Like, straight. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I may fall over in the middle of, uh, yeah. So, um, but I, yeah. So I'm up here in Cleveland and I'm in a pivotal election state, Ohio. And yeah, I, I have a, I'm so glad you're here because I have a question for you, Johnny Million. Talk and, to me. and I think you will rep- re- represent our every man in terms of uh, this piece of information. When, what year did the Iowa caucuses, um, as, especially as we know them, begin? When did the Iowa caucuses start? Holy moly, you know what? I think it's more recent than I thought it was. I think mm-hmm. it was in the 80s. It was 1972. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but it was, in, uh, it was the result of um, the like daily um, stuffing the, 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 you know, the ballot boxes for Hubert Humphrey in Chicago at the Chicago convention. Um, Yeah. I was about to say that sounds like four years after the 1968 convention. Yes, it was. And in the, in 72, um, you know, they, do you know the reason why Iowa has its caucus so early? And I'm curious if anybody in the chat room knows this, although they're on a slight delay for me. So they may, you know, it may take them a little longer to answer. So I'll give them a chance at it. But um, did they did they like barter for it? No. So like that they could be. No, no. It was way less complicated. It was a big old 1972 reason, which is (laughs) no computers. And they had one mimeograph machine to tabulate all of the caucus uh, votes because they could count them. Yeah, they had to, they had to count them and then they had to reprint them. And the, they only had one mimeograph machine. So if you if you guys don't know what a mimeograph is, pre Xerox, sometimes your teacher in school would. Is that uh, the ditto? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was basically it was a rolling thing. You could make copies of stuff. By making a print, and the ink was like purple, and it smelled really cool. Yes, and your te- you could always tell when your teacher came back from the mimeograph machine because she had pink, she had purple fingertips, and she was a little loopy. Yep. Yeah. So, and um, anyway, so the uh, they only had maybe one or two of them, and so it took them a long time to tabulate the caucus votes to get them ready for the convention. 
And so they, you know, Iowa being one of these, you know, uh, seeing itself as a flyover state with not a lot of resources. Um, remember, this is pre biofuel. This is pre corn in everything. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, literally think of the politics of Iowa as a farm state pre corn. I mean, we always made corn, but the real arc up of it in the late 70s and early 80s towards biofuels and high fructose corn syrup. This, you know, right. it was a much more diverse crop region. It was much more normal uh, farming experience and people spread out all over the place. And it took them time to, you know, to get their boats in. And they were uh, <laughs> and darn tootin says, do you mean the Iowa cow cuss? You know, they just yell at cows. Right. So, this, I mean, this is kind of crucial to the entire process is that there's a lot of talk about how, you know, Iowa sets the tone and and they you know, it's an artificial view of the rest of the country. And and it's there's sort of a, a privilege to Iowa being able to do this and control this. Well, it was set up initially because of their lack of privilege, their lack of resources. And it was it's supposed so to weird. balance that part of it out. It was supposed to pick up the slack for the fact that this little podunk state with not a lot of resources could have their votes tallied and, and available for the actual big count at the convention. Now they were oh, crazy. Yeah. And the convention itself, like that was supposed to be the time initially that was when everybody came in and the votes were counted there, you know, and they have a primary, they'd have an original count and all this caucus States and the primary States, then they would bring it in. And then they would, you know, uh, to the actual convention, and that would be the official count. And then the official count would be read in. Now, that's that was supposed to be the real experience of voting, you know, was at the, the actual uh, uh, convention. And the caucuses and the primaries were like were like gathering them at the polling places on a smaller scale. You know what I mean? You didn't really take them as as the official until they were done there. And so they were some of them, the caucus states especially, were almost for show because you couldn't you can't quite trust them to the same level you could trust a primary was the theory, because a primary has written votes. It's individual. People oh, do it yeah, one to one. Caucus is the weird like that's like the town hall. Yeah. Thing, and they right? stand and in a room and, shouting. Right. And it becomes this odd. It's almost an architect. It's an exercise in 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 social dynamics to watch a caucus versus a and just a like primary. somebody yelling the eyes have it all of a sudden yeah and and then people also having you know who whoever can exert the most emotional pressure on the the other you know the other people there will often have a, a leg up on others so yeah. it's a really fascinating aspect of just humanity you know just and and it's one of the reasons by the way by the way why the um the republicans aren't having primaries in most States, they're just killing them outright because more, I think, less because of the primary runs, because you might have somebody that, you know, if Bill Weld gets, you know, 18 votes in some of these areas, I'd be shocked. It's the caucuses that they are that they're more worried about, because that's where people can come in and start yelling. And not all those people are going to be Democrats. They're not going to yell. The right things. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um and unfortunately, you know, and Trump is not about giving anyone a voice but him. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of um, 
you know, why they, you know, why they're worried about it and why they, they shut theirs off and that, and why in some ways a lot of people are less, um, excited about the, the Iowa caucuses as in, in, you know, these days it's, it's really interesting to me because I've, I've been, if you look at kind of social pressure, you know, we've gotten into a very, you know, marching and protesting has always been a crucial part of the American democratic system. Um, and not since the sixties have we seen a run of, uh, of marches and protests like we've seen under this president. And in the, seriously. Yeah. And in the caucus, that was how he kicked off. That was yeah. the beginning of his. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, he activated everybody. Right. And it's curious how the, and, and counter protests too. I mean, obviously not, I mean, it hasn't, I mean, Charlotte qualifies as one of these, you know, groups are, you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, across the board, there's this, that's, that's the motivating factors. It, it is almost an Instagram and, and um, social media affect on our political system that everybody is, um, there's, there's personal ego and face involved in your presentation of your political beliefs in, in a way that really hasn't been here since the 60s. Um, and I guess the, the, you know, I guess the clan is kind of, you know, side of it because they always, they have to wear a mask. So, you know, it's a weird, they find themselves in a weird situation, I suppose, in this situation, which is why a lot of these guys, the marchers in Charlotte are, you know, wearing these khakis and, and golf shirts and carrying tiki torches, you know, because the, the ego involved in presenting your belief, not just voting your beliefs, but showing your beliefs as well. Right. And there's, certainly value in that. And I think it's something that probably stems out of the AIDS crisis primarily. It certainly uh, showed up in the post effects of 9-11. But this idea of silence being acceptance and you must be seen showing that your support um, has driven, you know, a big swath of this. And I look at the caucus system and I think it is leading and there's almost like a backlash to the, you know, to people's showing, you know, like even on social media, it's starting to, you know, people are starting to like, it's like it's worked their last nerve a little bit too much, or it's too presentational. People start checking out at a certain point. And I wonder if the caucuses will have as much of an effect simply because they, they will seem like posturing. Right. That, uh, that the people who vote and just believe what they you know believe, but aren't socially adept or forward about it, or or very vocal in what they believe, um, may feel kind of uh, intimidated by that process. Um, and it will be it, it will be an experiment going into this this season because they're coming up. You know, we've, we're about what five weeks away. Um, yeah from, you know, from most of these starting up and it, it, that will be a curious aspect of this to kind of the vocal nature of it, having done Politicon and some of these other things like watching people, you know, uh, behave in, you know, in politics. And I'm curious how that affects everybody on social media. We got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. It's the House Parks Radio program, Mega Worldwide, now with 100% more Johnny Million. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Um, 2020 is going to be a, a, a year you tell your children about. Hopefully for good. Hopefully. But 
There are by no means any guarantees. We'll talk about why I think that when we come back. You're listening to the House Sparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. So um, we have uh, we got a couple of callers on the line. Um, I'm, we'll we'll take them right now before I get into another diatribe about stuff. But um, I do want to address at some point that um, almost all of Trump's gambits, um, especially North Korea, for example, um, are currently failing miserably. And nearly none of them, uh, you know, are, are working. The, obviously, the tax cut did not. There was no four thousand dollars in everyone's bank account. Like he said, nope. none of that stuff is true. Um, and there will be a lot to hammer. But there is a strategy for Trump to win this fall that concerns me. Do I think he's capable of pulling it off? Not 100 percent, but it is there. Um, but let's take some callers and see what they want to talk about, and then we'll uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. How's that for a tease? <laughs> Sounds good. It is good. Uh, who do we have first, uh, Devin? First, we have Tim out in Milwaukee. Cool. Hey, Tim. Hi, Hal. Happy holidays. Tim, are you there? Can we hear you? Uh, Tim? You, oh, wait, hang on. There he is. Can you hear Hold me on. now? Yep. Is that better? There you go. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sounds Happy good. holidays. Yeah. Um, Thank you, you too. I'm wondering if you can give advice on which states to focus on to make sure Mitch McConnell does not return as majority Senate leader. <laughs> uh, which Senate seats are ripe? Um, how to focus on those? Because, I, you know, <laughs> they're playing a game uh, two steps ahead of us in terms of stealing elections and making sure people can't vote. But if we get a right. cloud in the proper states... I do think we can uh, just get Mitch out of the majority seat. I don't know if he's going to be unseated, but the one best way to get be done with him and get some legislative things done is to make sure he's not the majority leader again because he's ruining right. our democracy. No question. So the obviously the primary one is Kentucky. Amy McGrath in Kentucky um, – is is crucial it does not mean that whoever would if they retain majority that the person who would fill in the seat would be any more trustworthy than mitch mcconnell um the republicans are only going to put someone in who's as sycophantic to their current cause um as mcconnell or worse simply because mcconnell is of this idea that he has a legacy that will outlast trump he believes this um the 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 rest of the republicans don't care. They believe their legacy is Trump. And so some of the people filling in uh, in those, you know, uh, who they might bring up, uh, that's the, you know, the the dangerous part. Obviously, um, Cory Gardner is uh, um, one of them. He's in Colorado. Um, you know, Clinton won Colorado by five points. That's crucial. That's that's the one, you know, one of the ones they're nervous about um, as well. Um, uh, Martha McSally in uh, Arizona. She's uh, you know okay. that's a that's seen as a Trump state, but they've been going purple. And the crucial thing, interestingly enough, and it's where she might it's it's a uh, it's a balancing act, simply because she's a female candidate. And the biggest 
turn in voters against Donald Trump that will have a crucial play in this election is women. women. Right. Uh, yeah, it, by, by volume. And they're not, by the way, uh, Democratic women or, or, you know, black women in the Democratic Party, which are seen as the sort of two crucial groups at play in the election cycle. They're not. They're, they're middle-of-the-road centrist Republicans who are socially democratic on certain issues because of how they feel about their children, literally, in, the, you know, in, certain, in terms of Republican women. And if there's a social issue that pertains to their child, they will lean that direction. If there's a social issue that doesn't, they don't seem as part of it, they will blow it off and not care. That's kind of the essence of the female Republican voter currently. But they do hedge towards the middle and they do vote Democratic sometimes. This time around, they're yeah. polling right now at like in, in a lot of these states at plus 25 towards the Dems. They are leaning away wow. from and not That's just from men, not not an arc from men. They're not 25 points away from men. In some cases, they're 37 points from men. It's that men are underwater as GOP voters and women are way above water and uh, leaning Democratic going into this election cycle. Uh, now, a good portion of them support, uh, quite frankly, people that the hard left of the Democratic Party won't you know, uh, view as villainous, B- specifically Buttigieg, interestingly enough, and Biden, and, and followed by Warren. They are not the Sanders voters. Um, and were that person to become the the nominee that's that support point drops a lot so that's where you know the democratic choice does matter that being said the um she's one of these things where she's a female senator but at the in a in a trump heavy state and it's it's a it's questionable whether or not that shift in female voters will be against her the same thing kind of applies to susan collins although a lot of people you know, yeah, we get her out. Of her thing, head. yeah, her thing is a trust issue. The problem is who fills in for her. Maine is not necessarily one of these states that is hardcore Republican, and that's why they've had someone like Collins for a long time. It, you, if you replace her with, a, you know, if they primaried her and came up with a Republican that was harder, they would lose the seat. The person who will run against Collins and win will be. N- nearly indistinguishable from her personality wise almost there will not be a firebrand liberal winning her seat there's a reason why she's in it but if they can they can go i'm her but you can trust me that's the sales point for maine if the yeah. main if dems run a, 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 a you know a, a left of center democrat who is you know, deep, a deep thinker, somebody who actually cares about the issues, isn't blowing people off and isn't, you know, just a, you know, a corporate stooge, the idea, you know, running in uh, that runs in everybody's mind. If they're, you know, they, they do reasonable voting, they consider them deeply and go, I'm a Democrat, but she's a Republican. She f- moves all over the place. She, she said she yeah. was against certain things and you always jumped her. So she's, um, uh, hers, uh, Gary Peters in Michigan, that one's solid. That yeah, one could go Democratic. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's going to um, he's he's he, you know, that's a Democratic seat. He's probably solid. He's a Democrat. But they've been trying to flip that one red. 
and yeah. but it's still so a crucial state. Right. Yeah. But we that you got to hold on to them, though, too. And the, and the Michigan state thing, I actually think Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn, Pennsylvania are going to go Democratic this time around by just a, a mass yeah, vote. Because of the shift knucklehead here in Wisconsin's on the block, um, I believe. Uh, yes. The Republican. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the uh, yeah. But even then there. Yeah. And then uh, John Cornyn in Texas um, is is crucial and david purdue in georgia um although they don't think georgia's gonna go you know that georgia's the it, it, georgia's the hardest one georgia is the one where the voting protections matter um because yeah i mean you need only look at the Stacey abrams race to know that they are not above fixing georgia georgia is the new is the chicago of the 1960s that is the ballot stuffing example of the world right now um and and it and it matters and and there's an increasing voter block in georgia largely because of how georgia makes its money these days georgia has become a production city for netflix for i mean marvel shot some of endgame there they do uh, uh walking dead is shot there and a lot of people move there to work from the arts and from the industry outside of that which has moved the the voting block because it's such a you know crucial part, and those folks saying we're not going to shoot here, we're going to move out. Pardon? Who are Georgia's senators right now? And one. Well, of David up, per- yes. David Perdue is the only one who's up um, okay. next time. Yeah. So they, uh, right. but there's a belief that it will go blue presidential next year. That that this coming year, Georgia is very there's a very strong chance as as. As Kornacki and and uh, five thirty eight as I can possibly get the, the <laughs> you know I'm standing here I'm making hand gestures I'm putting my hands in my khaki pockets and I'm adjusting my glasses but I'm saying that if Georgia goes blue for real if that if you're talking about where to put the pressure on where to focus energy the two points I would say that need the most attention are Kentucky to support Amy McGrath because that is pivotal. It gets McConnell out of the seat, but it also gives us a seat. And it's a shocker to the entire electorate. If you yeah. can marshalling that. And then, and then Georgia. Yeah. And Georgia, because of the, the, the boat theft that's going on down there, if that could be rested back, then you're OK. And, and if Purdue could go out, that's a winning seat. The rest of them, by the way, I think Michigan, I think uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are on the, our possibilities simply because of that shift. But they also Wisconsin will have that balancing act where they'll go Democratic for president and keep their Republican senators as this kind of odd, yeah, like we're evening things out. I don't even know who's running against Ron. Jo- I'm pretty sure Ron Johnson's on the block this year. Every yeah, I can't think of them really jumped out. So, yeah, no. And and it's and it's largely because of that. Georgia and Kentucky should be the main focus of the Democratic Party, as far as I'm concerned, because the rest of them will be a natural. They're all focused on a lot of the states, but their extra effort should be put on those two states, in my estimation, Georgia and Kentucky. Thanks for your but anyways, thanks for calling. We got Yeah, appreciate it. All listeners. If you uh, refer to Fox News, call it fixed news. It's uh, yes, it under, <laughs> fix, undermines the fix a is lot in. of people's belief. 
in it. That's so right. Have a great holiday. I, I, uh, great New Year. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a break. Um, don't forget, support the show, patreon.com slash Sparks. It makes a great New Year's resolution. I'm just saying, you can help us out. And um, there's, uh, I've been working behind the scenes with uh, one of our uh, Uber patrons to create a gift for you guys, uh, for the patrons that have been with us for a while. It's uh, unique, one of a kind, and super special. I'm, that's all I'm saying right now. It's yeah, it's cool. You'll get one too, Johnny, because you've been, you know, you, you've been a you know a constant uh, in, in the ever cha- in an ever changing universe, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Hal Sparks a great way to support the show. Don't forget to follow Johnny Million at J Million on Twitter. I'm at Hal Sparks on Twitter. We'll be back right after this. This is Tom Harmon, and you're listening to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Um, there is a um, there's a big push since that constitutional uh, or the uh, the Christianity Today, sorry, article that came out that said Trump should be removed from office. That was a mm-hmm. it was a you know a it was a moment. It was a, you know, it was a, it was sort of one of those Rocky moments where you're like, you cut him, you know, you see, he's not a machine. He's a man. You know, it, there's an element of people seeing that and going, whoa, not every Christian backs this dude. Not every, you know, they don't automatically believe what he's selling. And that was, that's a huge thing. That is a, you know, that that is no small. They'll they're downplaying it like crazy, and Trump is playing up his, you know, his uh, uh, Christian bona fides as best he can. Both Corinthians full. He's loaded up both barrels with his Corinthians, and uh, he's firing away at you know Jesus memes and stuff like that, hoping that that picks up the slack, and then saying you know we promised you Merry Christmas and uh, you know. And we'll we'll make it so that poor people can't get abortions anymore, because I don't get, let, let's let's be completely honest. The anti-abortion crowd knows full well that wealthy people will be able to take care of any unwanted pregnancy they want. hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's poor people and uh, women of, uh, of few resources and women who find themselves uh, the victims of rape and incest who you know, should carry out their duty to God uh, to, you know, they, they will be forced by the state to carry a baby to term um, and become a broodmare for the state, which, by the way, tell me what what big government is again. I, I, yeah. So um, and and by the way, and part of the argument that they're using is this idea that. That Democrats especially, but, uh, you know, especially women in the Democratic Party are fighting for the right of um, not only abortion on demand for, you know, because, you you know, you don't want you don't like the sex of the child or or the child might have Down syndrome or something like that, that, uh, you know, has has a lot of moral failings in it, clearly. But this false belief that children are being executed post-birth as an abortion aspect, which 
is based on this idea that, you know, uh, I think it was um, I forget which governor it was, the dude in uh, who went on the radio and was basically explaining what the procedure was for a baby that was born that was not going to survive, could not survive outside the womb. They knew it would not. And a whether or not to whether if a therapeutic abortion was necessary to save the mother's life because a a non-viable fetus, a baby, was going to kill her too. It would not survive outside the womb and the mother would die. That's when they have a a late-term therapeutic abortion. That's what that is. It's extraordinarily rare, horrifying for the mother. Not a choice situation where someone's making... Uh, uh, what we consider a choice, like it's something at a, you know, like, cause when we think of choice uh, outside this argument, we think of salad bar or what kind of TV to buy. You know what I mean? Choice has a, is a word that carries that kind of weight. It's almost flippant, but in turn inside this, uh, you know, this argument, when choice is brought up, especially in terms of, uh, you know, late term uh, therapeutic abortions where the mother's life is, is it in danger and the child is not viable. It's, it is born without crucial uh, organs with uh, m- malformities that will, you know, will cause it not to survive hours past birth. The question becomes whether or not to have the therapeutic abortion beforehand or go through with the birth. And then you discuss whether or not you try to resuscitate the child repeatedly or let it die, let, let it die of natural causes. If there is no hope for that. And a woman who finds herself in that point of, of having to experience something like that is not making a choice, right? That's not, there is no choice in this where the child survives. No, they're mid tragedy. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are in a tragedy making it's that's a choice like Sophie had a choice. (laughs) You know that like there is no and in those terms, there are no Democrats, I don't believe that uh, are of any measure. Everyone has their crackpots. But the vast majority of people look at, at at the choice around whether or not to have a child with with an incredible amount of seriousness. And and trusting that serious decision to to the woman and her doctor in those situations. And but the idea is painted that, you know, that Trump is literally saying that they just want to, you know, have a post birth abortion, which is a murder, by the way. That is a living, breathing person who is uh, uh, they are literally an autonomous being at that point. They exist whether or not the parents want them to or not, they will be like, if someone can live and survive in an incubator birth abortion, well, that's, that's what they're talking about. And it's madness, but this is what, this is, this is, that's what he's got left to sell to the Christian, right? I got you judges who will fight abortion in the abstract. This is what Democrats want to do. And, um, PS, you know how you're not a big fan of, uh, immigrants from the south coming up here mm-hmm. uh, i'll also take care of that that's those are the the big ones that are are building up his support for amongst the evangelical base 
Well, this Christianity Today article showed that that evangelical and Christian base, well, first of all, that evangelicals are not the primary group of Christians in the country. They're not even the vast majority. They are the loudest. And again, that brings us to the caucus aspect of things. You know, in the, in the caucus of Christianity, the evangelicals are the ones who shout everybody down. And evangel- evangelism, literally the act of evangelizing, is the sales pitch of Christianity. Baptists believe you must be baptized to become a Christian. That's essential to it. Lutherans have a, a, an individualistic, um, and Presbyterians also follow in this idea of what Christianity is, is something you practice at home as well as in the church. You pray in secret and in public. There's, you know, there's a mix of those things. Philosophically, there's a lot of those uh, elements that differentiate them. But evangelicals are the used car salesmen of Christianity at this point, especially the megachurch crowd. And oftentimes they're selling a lemon they don't even drive. While other people who believe deeply in these things are left out of the conversation entirely. We gotta take a break. When we come back, we got more calls. So 773-763-9278. It's the House Sports Radio program, Mega Worldwide on WCPT Radio. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT820.com is the website. Check it out. So that um, I was talking about the uh, the gender gap in the in the election cycle coming up, and it it I don't think it's ever been this stark. Now, it does not mean, by the way, that huge amounts of men are all of a sudden voting for Donald Trump again or deepening their commitment. As a matter of fact, the the commitment of men towards uh, Donald Trump has shallowed. It has gone from a 15 and 12 point margin to 10, 5, and even in in a couple of battleground states, a 1% margin, which, by the way, all of this within the margin of error, 3%, you know, either way. So um, the, the, the crucial, which is one and a half, I guess it's three as a whole, one and a half points either direction is how you read that. But 220, 221. Yeah, right. Whatever, you know. Um, and uh, the, uh, but on the, uh, as far as female voters, this big arc up, you know, has hit that 35, you know, plus number, um, which is extraordinary, especially in some of the battleground states. And a lot of it has to do with the um, with these former like Republican women voters who went out on a limb and voted for Donald Trump and haven't largely statistically been with him since. I think they gave him like a four month lead. You know, they let him go for about four months. And then that number has started to creep. 
Um, he didn't really come out of the gates doing much for them. No. And it just got worse. So now it's solidifying. And that's why, by the way, you're going to see such a tooth and nail fight in the Democratic primaries for this, because almost anybody can win with those numbers if they maintain. If, 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 if. We're going to take a call, though, and I'll tell you why I have an if in there uh, in a second. Who, who do we have on the line, Devin? First, we have Chris Allen Palantine. Excellent. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Yes, a belated Merry Christmas and an early Happy New Year. And Thank you. We, you too. Uh, I have to correct you on a couple things, Hal. Uh, first okay. of all, uh, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is not up for re-election this year, unfortunately, or next year, rather. He's in, 22, he's in 2022. Is he? Okay. And, Sorry, I was, I, I was referring to my uh, – I have a list of people who are on – who are uh, – vulnerable. And I, I just, I, I don't know why I assumed he was in this next round. I think just cause I've been focusing on the people who look like they could go. So yeah, uh, also, thank you. Are, I appreciate two, that. There are two seats open in Georgia because, yeah. because, uh, they, because, uh, uh, the governor of Georgia appointed a replacement in, in that person. Right. The, the woman has to run for reelection in 20, in 2020. So theoretically you could pick up two seats in Georgia. Uh, but I do right. need to bring, bring up one point you, you you're kind of downgrading the evangelicals and that is a very 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 risky uh assumption because evangelicals represent roughly you're correct they are represent a very small minority of you know so-called christians they mm-hmm. they represent about 15 percent of the american population give or take a few votes give or take mm-hmm. a few people they represent 25 percent of votes so 25% of the people who get off their butts and actually vote are, are the Christian evangelicals. It don't take too many more votes. If you get, if you got a hundred percent, if you get a hundred percent of that 25%, you don't need too many more votes to win the election. Right. Well, and, and, and uh, hence my whole point, hence my whole point in the beginning of the show about everybody voting about that volume, because you don't swamp those kind of numbers unless everybody participates. But if you do, Seventy-five percent of Christians aren't going to vote the same way these this crowd does, and it, it will matter. You know that will because they yeah, don't vote. Yeah. So it's, it's, this is the whole point, Hal. I'm seventy years old. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. voted since 1972 because that was when because in back the 21 you, you had to be 21 in order to vote back way back mm-hmm. then. So every right. uh, in every presidential and congr- as Norm Goldman called them congressional elections, you know, since '72, I have voted, and then I've usually voted in the primaries. I can't say for the off-year, you know, for the odd elections, you know, like Illinois has their municipal elections uh, coming up, you know, in the right. odd year. You know, I I, I I skipped a lot of those because, you know, like, you know, who cares who's the mayor, who, who's the city councilman for, you know, the village of Palatine, you know, like, big deal. <laughs> but at any rate, mm-hmm. the thing is, is that I've been reading all these things. Well, the millennials, and by the way, I'm a baby boomer who has total contempt for millennials, and I know they don't think much of <laughs> okay. But you know what? We vote. They don't. And that's right. the thing, you know, I hear that, well, we, we have to have some, they want they whine, we have to have somebody who inspires us, we have to have somebody who we like, we have to have somebody we agree mm-hmm. with, you know, oh, they have to look good, they have to have, have positions that we agree with. You know, it, I've got news for all the people out there, these so-called progressives, and that, by the way, goes to let you, you use my assumption. Right, I understand. Yeah, well, what I, what I think of them, but the, 
you know, they go up there and they have a hissy fit and they say, well, well, the person's not perfect, so therefore we're opposed to them. Well, anything that you believe in, if we have, if we have five, we, right now we have 57 weeks of Trump minimum. Mm-hmm. If right. we have, you know, you know, five years and three weeks and three more weeks of Trump, everything that you claim to believe in is gone forever. Or not yes. forever, but right. probably your lifetime. Because I will guarantee over the next five years that uh, whoever the president is will uh, nominate at least two. And, and if Trump is the, if Trump is reelected, he'll ha- he will appoint four Supreme Court justices. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not immortal. <laughs> you know, as much as she, mm-hmm. we hope she is, she, you know, I, I think her survival right. odds over the next five years are not that great. Oh. Likewise, I think Stevens mm-hmm. is likely to retire or die. Uh, and certainly, if Trump is reelected, you would see Clarence Thomas and Alito resign and allow. Trump to and the Republicans to put in, you know, a forty-something, uh, you know, hardcore yep. right-wing conservative. Trump already has appointed over twenty-five percent of the of the uh, you know federal judge, federal, federal, federal yeah. judges, and and close to I think forty percent of appellate judges. You know, the, mm-hmm. basically the people who make the really make the decisions, and he will have he'll easily appointed half the judiciary. He's easily half of the judiciary. Plus, yep. all, everything he's doing in destroying all the federal agencies and every and every environmental rule. You say you like in the environment, forget about it. You, you say you want, you know, uh, Roe versus Wade. I mean, you can kiss that goodbye. LBGT yeah. rights. You'll see so many religious, you know, um, exemptions for that. Exceptions. And it wouldn't even surprise right. me to see that to see them turn around and and uh, apply that to uh, minorities. You know, because you know, after all, my religion, my hardcore religious beliefs say that blacks are not are inferior to whites. So therefore, I should be able to discriminate against them. And see the, and see the well, I think Jews are uh, it's Jews is the is the first one of that. I mean, that's that's always you know that was one of the you know the most recent anti discrimination laws that came in was uh, was uh, Jews not being exempt from organizations because of their beliefs and the like. And going back to that as a religious exception is is an easy rollback in the direction that they're going for if you're going to open that gate. And so, and then, but, you know, but again, race being I, a totally I, different category, but you're probably right. Yeah, but I, yeah, I get go so ahead. disgusted when I hear these people. Uh, there's one thing, you know, these people say, well, this person doesn't have the right views or that person doesn't have the right views. There's only one view right now for the next, for, for this election, right. period, who will beat Trump? And you're, to- and you know, and, the, and my feeling is mm-hmm. Joe Biden. We want we we cannot go we don't for a roller coaster. Sanders is not going to win. There is no way in hell he's going to win. And we should focus on five six states. We should focus on Wisconsin, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and you know and uh, you know but, but probably, maybe try to pick up another state in there and uh, in the long line. But but certainly mm-hmm. if we pick, if we win Iowa. And we need to go oh, in New Hampshire, by the way, also, because we barely won mm-hmm. New Hampshire. We barely won Minnesota. So it, we need to concentrate on making sure that we win those states. And as I said, plus pick up Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, 
Ohio and Pennsylvania, and then we then we get four years to to settle down, get you know to to um, fumigate all the federal agencies, to purge all of the Trumpites that uh, he has seated in all those federal agencies, and try to get back into a somewhat semblance of normality. Otherwise, you know, guess what? You know, I'll be dead. You know, I mean, I've got cancer. I'm 70 mm. years old. The odds of me living 20 years are non-existent. Are mm. non-existent. The odds of me living 10 years are probably not that great. So it's not going to really affect me, but it's going to sure as hell affect all you millennials. Mm-hmm. So I, you know I appreciate the call, and I uh, I agree with the 100% participation idea in that, that this idea that um, inspiration is the thing that will make you vote. That should be the thing that makes you caucus for somebody. That be sh- should be something that makes you uh, inspired to knock on doors during the primary season for them. But your principles and your desire to see, you know, the everything that's been hard work for and civil rights and uh, labor rights and all those things that have been in existence that you've been taking for granted, quite frankly, for a long time should be the thing that makes you knock on doors during the general for whomever gets the election, because there, there is the inspiration should be the fact that all of that will be gone. I think that, uh, that part of what you're saying is absolutely dead on. We got to take a break, but I appreciate you calling in and hanging in there and, and finishing that thought. I appreciate it. We'll be back. I'm Dick Kay from back on the beat. And here is the mega worldwide radio program with Hal Sparks. <laughs> Did, was there always a was there an S missing that was edited in later? Hal Sparks. <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, no, he's great. I just didn't. Uh, it, it, that was that seemed particularly. It's like he re-recorded. Like I didn't like my S on that one, and he went back and did it. Um, uh, so um, the, the L.A. Times is reporting uh, Trump's North Korea gamble leaves U.S. back at square one. Where did it go wrong? Gee, let me think. Um, maybe all the way back to considering, you know, that uh, you shouldn't sit down with this dude who murdered his own uncle and brother to get his position of power like it's nothing. Maybe not meet him on his turf. May, I don't know. Maybe do it over video chat. I don't know. Why shake hands with the dude? Because, um, again, this goes towards, look, North Korea is, a, a, you know, definitely a nuclear, as a nuclear power is an issue. And isolation and sanctions and those kind of things work to some degree. But it's basically a cult state. But Pakistan has nukes as well in a very concerning uh, circumstance, you know, where the leadership is not necessarily in control of this stuff. And there's they they waffle at the edge of failed states sometimes simply because India wants to overtake them. You know, India views them as a hostile force. So they would be undermining the leadership of Pakistan. So if, if there's a tipping point where extremists take over that government, they've got nukes right away and no impetus not to use them because they don't plan on sticking around on earth anytime soon. You know, like at least, at least yeah, Kim Jong is a playing field. At least we know that Kim Jong Un would miss dessert. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's snacks to live for. You see what I'm saying? Like that's, that's why I always, I'm, with him. I'm never like people with tattoos or people who are uh, like, or heavy like that, 
don't uh, scare me in a situation most of the time because I know they want to live. They understand the pleasures of life. They don't want to, they're, they're not going to, you know, I'm taking you guys with me. It's not usually how it works. But uh, it says when President Trump agreed to, uh, um, that's weird. I'm, I'm reading this correctly, LA Times, okay. just so you're saying. When President Trump agreed to met North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in 2018, <laughs> missing an E, right in the first line, LA Times, okay. Um, in 2018, flying in the face of all precedent and protocol, both Korean and both Koreas jumped at what appeared to be a biggest opportunity in decades to shake up the situation on the Korean Peninsula. After all, for 25 years, the U.S.-led efforts to curtail North Korea's nuclear ambitions had been seemingly stuck in a cycle of provocation, panic, attempts to diplomacy, uh, with simultaneously hand-wringing it uh, about the wisdom of it and the subsequent unraveling of the fruits of those efforts. Each go-around ended with increased U.S. skepticism about engagement, followed by years of impasse, during which North Korea would surprise the world by making strides in its development of nuclear weapons and powerful missiles to deliver them. Trump's willingness to flout all that came before uh, him as welcomed by the leaders of North and South Korea. After his first summit, uh, he praised the U.S.'s actions, uh, president's actions as a unique approach. A couple months later, North, uh, South Korean President Moon um, uh, said, uh, told Trump he was the only person who could solve this problem. But uh, Trump himself also touted the idea that he was singularly positioned to reach a breakthrough in North Korea. People said Trump is crazy. <laughs> he told reporters at a Rose Garden press conference. Like singular, only I can do this. Yeah. Um, and you know what it ended up being? A very good relationship. Nobody else could have done that. OK, so this. They've had three summits, a um, bunch of letters, lovely letters. They're lovely letters. The U.S. finds itself back in the similar uh, in familiar waters with North Korea. They're they're launching stuff again. Nothing has changed. They're calling him an idiot again. Um, three handshakes in a meeting again. And the only thing I think we have going for us is that no one takes a meeting with the U.S. president seriously when it's Donald Trump. That's uh, honest to God. That is the only thing that we've we have on the na on the international stage. The idea that. The American president recognizes a, a dictator and shakes his hand and says this will not go down in history as that's the point where American presidents started being OK with dictators. It will be it will yeah, go down and be more like an asterisk. Totally like, oh, yeah, that was when they had that Nudnik in charge. No, that's um, when there were steroids in baseball. Unless we reelect him. In which case, in which case um, that that's when it does become normalized. That's when. Um, the Erdogan's, the Putin's and the Kim Jong-un's of the world uh, have an, an all new status because of their favoritism of a man who was elected twice. The first elective of pre election of a president, qu quite frankly, is a shot in the dark no matter who it is. You believe what they're telling you. You hope it's true. You hope they have a history of doing it most of the time. But especially a guy who had no political uh, history at all coming in but this is going to be seen always as a, a you know a hail mary pass by voters let's just see what happens yeah but in terms of you know anybody who has a history even you know like bush senior or even bush junior to some degree because he grew up he was a governor and his he was around politics because of his father um he was also around cocaine but that's another story <laughs> Um, the, the, at least there's this idea that 
they're indicative of the U.S. system. And so by what what you can gauge the genuine workings of the U.S. government by what they do. Trump is, interestingly enough, by the extremity of everything that he does, creating himself as a wholly separate entity from how the U.S. government usually works. Um, and even especially the good parts, the stuff that works the way yeah. it's supposed to. Um, yeah. And by being that, he's and his refusal to kind of incorporate himself into kind of the normalcy of it in any stretch other than like Easter egg hunts. But even then, like at Halloween, he's setting candy on a kid's head. Like that kind of like it's so everything's an asterisk with this guy. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it just looked demeaning but and stupid. But, you know, but what, what do you like expect? Paper towels at hurricane like victims. Like you've never been around children. Um, but that but the idea is that he. He's not indicative of the U.S. system or the U.S. president in any way. So even the fact that he's had this meeting with Kim Jong-un in, from a historical standpoint, especially depending on who's president next, um, will will that will be a major factor. You know what I mean? That like, mo- you know, if he gets reelected, this all becomes then the meetings with Kim Jong-un become the way of the U.S. If they don't, um, then. If he doesn't get reelected, then it, everything he did during this is is a crazy cul-de-sac of madness in the history of the United States. And by the way, we're we're not this country wouldn't be special in having that. You know, every every country has gone through this Germany um, where there is a where, you know, literally where there's a um, a period where the electorate or the people because of. All sorts of trauma or, or, you know, electoral deficiencies or a power broker moves in and manipulates the system um, have had a situation. I mean, England has had the Mad King Georges. You know, the, the French had to cut their leader's head off at one point for going. They don't have any bread. Why don't they just eat cake then if they're out of bread? If they've run out of bread, just have some cake. It's right there. You know, like and, you know, and we obviously Germany in the recent unpleasantness. No country gets to dodge this, you know. Um, it's just some, you know, like Sweden's is way back in Viking times. You know, they can look back almost, you know, like uh, if you're if your worst times were written on parchment, you know, you're definitely one up on the rest of the world. Um, but uh, uh, but in terms of, you know, of us, it, this becomes meaningful if Trump is reelected, if Trump is reelected. Then all the kids in cages stuff, the um, the the Muslim ban, all that stuff, that's normal yep, U.S. policy. Yep. yep, all that all that stuff is normal. That gets normalized. That is, you know, that that is the impact of this. That is, and and if the uninspired voter doesn't show up because the system, man, um, or the independents don't show up. By not showing up, that silence is accepting idea really does come into play. It, it you know, it's it, it is a meaningful that that is putting your thumb on the scale of history, saying I I by I, I don't think he deserves to be stopped. That's a that's a cowardly yes vote. That is, by the way, voting present. The, anybody who doesn't vote in this election, um. Or I would even argue the protest votes. That's voting present. 
then Tulsi Gabbard is your candidate is what I'm saying. Yeah. Cause if you, you know, if you're not going to go against that stuff, then you're codifying it as normal. You're saying it's okay. All of it. You are co-signing every aspect of the Trump presidency. If you don't vote against him. Um, and if you are voting for him, you are co you are co-signing everything that he's done. This is not one of these situations where a president has some tangential issues that mucked up and, you know, uh, there were better decisions to be made. So, you know, he made the best of two bad decisions and one of them turned out to be, you know, really unpopular, but it would have been worse the other way. But you can't prove a negative. So you're stuck with it historically. That's not what this is. In the case of Trump, it can't be more stark. So anyways, we got to take a break. When we come back. We'll take those other callers. Uh, um, Lisa's saying, Hal, take the trolls' calls. <laughs> I will. I just wanted to get to that point. So we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hal Sparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. It's now time for the happy ending. Yay! I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Johnny Million a chance to think about it for a minute. Um, uh, but we're going to do a quick, uh, at the end of the show, a five minute, like encapsulated year in review, like the big moments of the year. Um, but first we've got, uh, we got a bunch of callers online. So I want to grab a couple of them before we do that. So who do we have first, Evan? First, we have Marshall out in Berkeley. All right, Marshall. Hello. Hey, I go ahead. I'm not a troll. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll see about that, young man. Yeah, all right, guys. Right. We'll be well, the first judge. of all. First of all, uh, I just saw something that I highly recommend, which is the loudest voice in the room. It's like yes. a mini series. I just I rented it from the library. It's, it's if you're going to go see Bombshell, go see this thing first. It'll uh, stick yes, that's it, about the yeah. It's about the like Fox News and the and just it's, their it's strategy. It's yeah, it's how, where he came from and how this you know his what happened to him. Anyway, the reason I called though. By the way, wait, wait before wait, wait before you start, Marshall. I want to applaud you uh, with everything that I have for saying you rented that in the library. You got you bought you took it out of the library. The fact the fact that we went through the whole year and it took till now for somebody to say I got something at the library, it makes right me on. sad. But you did it. You did it under the wire, and I appreciate My you. My wife is a librarian. Get a library card, people. Okay, uh, thank you, Marshall. Go ahead. It's amazing what it's amazing what turns up the library right after you watch it on Netflix. It's just real, you know. Uh, right. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my question had to do with four hundred one k's in the economy. Like that guy that called that said he was uh, seventy and first voted in seventy two. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of us are hitting retirement age. Our four hundred one k's are doing great. You know, they mm-hmm. haven't been better, and I have a feeling that if that holds up, and who knows, you know, it's a long way to go. But if that holds up, there's going to be a, a thread of crap on the Internet and, and ads and everything else. Vote for the economy. Vote for Trump. You know, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. What is your counter to that? And, and how do we deal with that? Because if, let's say, he's impeached and if he is pulled out of office early and the economy tanks right away, if that were to happen, mm-hmm. or if he stays in office and the economy stays strong, either way, it's going to be a suggestion that keeping him and his yes, that, in power. So I, I'll hang up. I want to hear your answer. 
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's a very important question to, it, first of all, I'd start with um, the idea that you notice that the president has no effect on jobs or the economy until it's a Republican. When Obama was in, Obama came into office, the, the stock market was at 6,400. We were losing 100,000 jobs a month. We, it, it, and, and he brought the stock market, Obama, during his tenure with even ice skating uphill, even with them pushing back a minute every turn to 196. The, 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 the stock market went from 6,400 6, to 19,600. Trump would have to be in office for, uh, at this rate that he's been growing for another 12 years to reach those numbers. Um, by the way, the stock market itself is worth 30K. I don't care what anybody says. There is more worth in the stock market than is being uh, held by stockholders right now, um, period. There, we are using economic – part of the problem with the recession idea and the crash and all that kind of stuff, because 2008 was not a natural crash. The, even the tech bubble was not a normal crash. That was an investment bubble just like gold rushes that failed. It's not indicative of the overall economy. They end up crashing the economy because of people's investment strategies to try and grow their uh, the 401ks or retirement uh, packages for work, you know retired workers and the like. They put them in the stock market and in other investment uh, situations to help them grow over time so they can make up for the lack of physical workers, the difference in uh, the pay and the payout over time. So they use an investment scheme to cover that distance. And when there's a crash, it cuts into that, right? So we've had two major artificial crashes that have nothing to do with consumers, nothing to do with workers, nothing to do with average businesses getting in over their head. They have been in complete you know, situations where the economy is being hamstrung artificially by minor groups of human beings. In the case of credit default swaps, and in the case of uh, tech investment bubbles. Um, and that's just people chasing something that isn't there. That's The stock market did not lose value. The, the languaging around it, and I argue this with Ali Belshi all the time, the stock market does not lose value. Stocks lose value. They are in the stock market. If you went into a grocery store and someone told you all the, all the produce is rotten, you wouldn't st you would just go buy the canned goods until they got fresh fruit. You know what I mean? You wouldn't go, oh, my God, this whole market is is falling apart. Um, the, the essence of the economy beyond what a president can do has been played up under Democrat, uh, played down under Democrats and played up under Trump or whatever. Um, I would say your first reaction should always be. What did uh, so you're saying that the uh, Republicans always, uh, you know, or that the government can affect the economy? So that's what you're telling me now. That's what you're telling me now. Right. You're telling me that the president does have an effect on jobs in the economy. They can create jobs. They do create jobs and they do create business wealth. That, let me start there with the Republican I would be talking to in this hypothetical. <laughs> we agree on that. We agree that the president and the government 
has a huge effect on the a positive effect on the economy, can grow business, can grow the economy. You're, you're telling me that that's what you believe now. You believe that because Trump is in office. And if you do, then we need to go look at Obama's numbers. And you need to know that the guy who was Obama's vice president is running for office, was there that whole time when the growth in the economy from where it was to where it went is exponentially higher from where it was to where it's going under Trump. So the best person to pick this economy up where it's on an uptick anyways, and by the way, we'd have been that these numbers under Obama had the 2008 crash not happened. A, a period end of story, within three, four years, America was already on that arc up. We are using economic models still, currently, that were created when there was less than 2 billion people on Earth. There, are, there will be, within our lifetime, 9 billion people on this planet. There, is, there are enough human beings with enough needs, and I don't even mean creature comforts, needs for every business in the United States to operate at full capacity as they exist right now, never stop production on whatever you make or sell, and still not be able to provide them to everybody on earth who needs them. That's just the reality of the economy currently. We have the, the demand side is ever growing. The supply side has been lagging for a long time in business, in capital, and in and in manufacturing. Period. And with China lagging in manufacturing, and some of those manufacturing bases shifting to other countries like Indonesia, back to Taiwan, other places like that, and in, including going back to the United States, um, there will be a huge uh, counter tilt in productiveness over the next 10 years. The question is, how many people do you need to make your stuff? And that's the Andrew Yang argument about automation. Oh, we got to the end of the show. We didn't get to do our, we'll do it in the post show. We'll do a little short. Yoda. Yeah. You what? (laughs) Baby Yoda. What's Fabiota? Baby Yoda. Oh, baby Yoda. I couldn't even understand what you're saying. It's a weird mix coming in my headphones. I'm so excited. Yes. Okay. That was your one thing. Okay. Johnny Million said baby Yoda, which is, by the way, a lie. Uh, Yoda is a human being. Uh, That's what we look like when we're 900 years old. That's how we age. Um, There is no baby Yoda. Sorry to burst everyone's bubble. Well, he's 50 years old, so... In that? No, because then he would be... It's ridiculous. All right, we'll be be back next week, uh, or next year, technically. Um, Hopefully, Johnny Million can help be with us also just to kick off the year for fun. I think Jackie Schechner will join us as well. We'll just have a nice little powwow beginning of the year, because I'm going to be doing this show. The next show will be from Kentucky. So, yeah, we'll tell you from behind the, the turtle's curtain. Ew, that sounded worse. Oh, my word. Once it made it out of my mouth, that was bad. Uh, we'll be having turtle soup next week in celebration. I'm kidding. Um, but anyways, love to you guys. Love to everybody in the chat room. Thank you, Devin. Go heal, man. Devin worked the show today sick. So uh, oh, thank you, Devin. thanks for coming in, Devin. Um, get some rest. Heal up. You're wonderful. Um, everybody at CPT has got a bug. So vitamin C, water, heal yourself up. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hey, this is Bob Seska, host of The Bob Seska Show. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to love my show, where every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we talk about this guy. Trump is crazy. And this guy. Trump is a f- 
fucking idiot. And we say this a lot. Sweet, merciful crap. Because he can't keep getting away with it. Find the Bob Seska show at sexyliberal.com and on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, bobseska.com and everywhere else you get your podcasts.